Okay, we begin our shiurim this year <coughs> at a very difficult time. Uh, if it was ever apt to adduce uh, that expression, indeed, those are the days <coughs> that we uh, find ourselves in. We have to keep in mind the end of the Pasuk also. We believe, as difficult as it is, um, look forward to, to better times. And the more together we are, the more that will happen. A, a, on a personal note, on a family note, it's the bright ray uh, within these uh, dark and difficult times. That is, uh, we had welcomed a grandson uh, into the family. Um, that was, he was born on Simchas Torah night, uh, in, in fact, uh, 2.30 in the morning, a few blessed hours before uh, everything uh, began to happen. And uh, he's called Yitzhak, actually, after uh, Rabbi Isaac Bernstein, who uh, some of you may have met or known or, or heard of. And um, it's a privilege to, to be part of, uh, of new Jewish life at this time. I will mention as well that uh, there is a program called Shomer program where uh, people who are learning Torah are connecting with uh, people who are uh, in the front or doing their uh, service and uh, the name that I was given <coughs> because my shiurim are part of my Torah learning, a central part indeed of my Torah learning and the name that I was given is uh, Avram Yitzhak ben Nava Tehila. And I don't know who he is, I, I don't know where he lives, but I know that he is uh, serving the Jewish people. And uh, this shir, and our shiurim, as long as he needs them, should be a schus for him, Hashem should protect him, and uh, give him success in everything he needs to do, and bring him back uh, safely home along with all of those who need to be brought back uh, safely home. So we begin, <coughs> and of course when we, when we begin the shir, so we're in the learning. I think if, if everyone has a feeling of lulei teroscha shashuai, it's really at times like this. And Noah begins with the, with the mabel, that's really the, the dominant section of the parsha. <coughs> And the marble and the, pun, the, the, the generation of the flood and the flood, it, flood itself, which is their retribution. And the way in which I'd like to approach the episode or the events of the, the marble, that whole generation, actually is from a very enigmatic comment of the Gemara on a posuk, which is at the end of the flood. And if we take a look at Perik Ches, posuk. Yudtes, Perikhes, Pasukutes. When everyone is already leaving, in fact, the flood is over and everyone can leave. So just to get the Pasuk here, Ches Yudtes. So we'll start with Yudches. Okay, permission has been given to, to leave. And Vayetse Noach. <coughs> Noach leaves Uvanav v'ishto, his sons, his wife, Unshevanav v'ito, and his wife's sons, all together. Kol all the beasts, all the life forms, haremes, kol all the birds, kol remes, all the arts, lemishpechosehem, in their families, yotsumin ha-teva. They left the teva in their families. And what does this mean? On a simple level, it means like what it sounds like it means. They, they are there as families, and they left as families, and it's a description of them leaving the ark. But Rabbi Yochanan, in the Gemara in Maseches Sanhedrin, in Perek Chelek, and Perek Chelek actually has a, has a, a daf devoted to events of the Mabel, Rabbi Yochanan in Sanhedrin daf Kuf Chesamud Beis, has the following cryptic comment. Le mishpachosehem, in their families, velohem, and not them. <coughs> what are we to do 
with a statement like that. They left in their families, but they themselves did not leave. Le mishpechosehem, velohem. Well, <coughs> understandably, it's a difficult statement to, to, to comprehend, to fathom, because uh, what are the families if not them? You can say they left in family units, but it, it's still them. Le mishpechosehem, velohem. Who will explain this statement? Many, many commentators have, uh, have uh, addressed it. But uh, <coughs> I would like to uh, share with you the approach of the Meshechachma. And Meshechachma prefaces his discussion by raising a more basic question about the whole, what we call the year of the flood. What is the goal, if we were to ask ourselves, what is the goal of the, the year of the flood? Well, it's to... Uh, to exact retribution from those who were deserving of, uh, of being uh, destroyed. Yes, says Meshachachma, but there's more to it than that. There has to be more to it than that. Why? Because Noah and his family and all of the animals, etc., were in the ark for a year. Yud Beis Chodesh. A year is a long time. Divine retribution doesn't take a year. It can take an instant. It can take a moment. So if the goal of the Mabel and the Ark and the whole thing is purely to exact retribution from those deserving of being punished, you don't need the whole production and you certainly don't need a year-long stay in the Ark. That's an interesting question. And that is why the Meshachachma says there is more to the year of the flood than just, quote-unquote, punishment of the wicked. There is another thing, the rehabilitation of the righteous. And what does this mean? <coughs> you see the words with which um, the Torah describes the situation in the world leading up to the, to the flood. What made them deserving of the flood? Absolute corruption and destruction and perversion. Uh, we, we have the ignoble first mention of the term Hamas uh, in this week's Parsha. It, it didn't mean anything good at that time either. These are, um, <coughs> represent a tendency towards absolute, absolute corruption. Now, there is a select group of individuals who are deserving of being saved. Yes, that's Noah and his family. However, it's not enough just for them to be saved. If they are not purged and purified of the, the, even uh, a trace tendencies towards such cruelty and selfishness and lawlessness that typify the generation that led to the flood, it's just a matter of time before mankind will bring upon itself another flood. And that is why part of what is happening over the year of the flood is that Noah and his family are, exp are expressing and removing from themselves, purifying themselves from any tendency towards selfishness. How so? By the selfless existence that is the year in the ark, where they are constantly taking care of the animals, giving and caring for Hashem's creations. There's no room for selfishness. There's no time for selfishness. And that is a year-long program of, re of fundamental rehabilitation. It's taking those who were the good ones who got away and making them better. Says Meshachachma, retribution need only take a moment. Education takes longer. There are no crash courses in developing oneself. It takes time. And this then is the ongoing months and months after the wicked had been destroyed, the righteous are still, still being prepared to re-enter the world with hope. It's a year of kindness and it affects all levels of creation. And that is why, says Meshachachma, when the Posuk describes how they leave Noah, his family, and all of the animals, because there was cruelty that had extended to all 
levels of nature, they left lemishpechoseihem. the letter lamed here, means, we, we would have said in their family, but lamed we know means for, for something. lemishpechoseihem. it was a new perspective. It was a new approach. The, those individual units and, and, and entities that left the Ark, they left for their families, meaning they have, they have an eye on taking care of those around them. And that was a product of the educational program of kindness over the course of a year in the Ark. And that is why Rabbi Yochanan underscores this idea by saying, Lemishbechoseihem, Velohem. Velohem, <coughs> says Meshachachma, means they weren't the same people that they were going in. They were, these aren't the same people. You look at them. The, I, I, I don't recognize Noah. I don't recognize his sons. Velohem, because, because they came out. Lemishbechoseihem. And perhaps one might add, just as a, a variation on the theme, Lemishbechoseihem, Velohem, means they now live for their families, not just for themselves. Lemishbechoseihem, it's not every man for themselves. It's every man for the, for the people that, that, that he is responsible for and close to. <coughs> so this is the um, wonderful explanation of Meshachachma on that, that, that brief comment in the Gemara, <coughs> which really tells us so much about the first half of this week's Parsha. And I'd like to move from there to, uh, actually to move back just a few psukim to Perik Ches Pasuk Yud Aleph. <clears throat> because uh, there we have the famous sending of the birds and sending of the of the um, and then the, then the dove and he comes he goes away and he comes back and he comes back with the famous olive olive leaf and the pasuk reads Perikhes pasuk yud aleph vatavo elav hayona leis era. So the Yonah, after the first time, it just hovered around, didn't find anything. But after a while, the second time, it came back. There was an olive leaf. It was, it was torn. In, it had torn off in its mouth. And then, Noach knew at that stage that the waters must have abated because he's able to have access to, to the branch of a tree. Interestingly, uh, in popular uh, conception, <coughs> the olive branch or the olive leaf is a sign of peace, which is interesting because uh, that's peace between two warring factions. This has nothing to do with that. It's the, it was the year of the flood. Has it abated? You know if there's an, uh, an, olive, an olive leaf. Uh, so that's a bit of a misapprehension. And that's uh, even without discussing the question of when to extend the, uh, the, the, the olive branch. What does Rashi say on the word taraf? A famous comment of Rashi. So firstly, says Rashi, and as we know, wherever possible, Rashi will give us the pshat. If necessary, he'll give us the drash. But if, but if possible, he'll give us the pshat. And that's exactly what he does. Because commenting on the word taraf, says Rashi, chataf. Taraf means torn, because he, he, he plucked the leaf, or he, he tore part of a leaf. It's that simple. It's a verb, and it means it was torn, uh, torn away and, and held in his mouth. But then, says Rashi, there's a medrash agoda. Who medrash agoda, lashon mazon. The medrash expounds the word taraf as an expression of mazon, teref. Like we say, hatrifeni, teref levesi. So teref means provisions, which means... It was food in his mouth. So what does it mean, food in its mouth? It means it was food, and there was a, sa- a statement here. Amra says the dove, May by, may by food be bitter like an olive in the hands of Hashem, and not sweet as honey received from people. So that's quite, that's quite a Musr lesson. That's not such a dovish uh, statement at all. It's, it's quite stark that uh, this, is the, this is the pronouncement. Before we get to the pronouncement of the dove, 
who's making somehow a moral statement here, a moral pronouncement, we begin by asking the Rashi question, which we always need to do. Whenever Rashi does more than bring the pshat, we need to know why. Whenever Rashi does not suffice himself with a simple, straightforward meaning and, and rather takes recourse to Medrash Agada, so we, <coughs> we need to ask what moved Rashi to do so. I mean, the pshat is simple and straightforward. Taraf means torn off, and, that, and, and, and it's as simple as that. What mara'a al kacha? What did Rashi see that says, but you should know there's more here, there's something else going on? Maybe, but not within the context of Rashi's pshat perush. And the Ramban himself addresses this question. And the Ramban says an interesting thing. What's the point? What's the point of, of the, the simple point of the Pasuk? If he brings back a leaf, Noah knows the water has abated. Do I need to know what type of leaf it brought back? That could be of great interest for people who are very detail-orientated or who love to know everything. But... The simple idea is it brought back a leaf from a tree. All trees are largely the same. So the Pasuk could have said it came back and there, was a, and there was a leaf in its mouth. But the Pasuk says more. The Pasuk makes a point of telling us it was an olive leaf. That's too much information, or more correctly, more information than I thought I needed. Unless Rashi says, no, you need to know. There's another level here. And it's responding to the reason the Torah saw fit to tell me that the leaf in question was an olive leaf. Because that's the message. <coughs> may, my, may my food be even bitter like, a, like an olive and, uh, and not sweet in the hands of Basavadam. That's Ramban. Mefarshe Rashi, the classic Mefarshe Rashi, say something else. <coughs> the reason why Rashi cites this medrash about the, the Musr statement of the, of the dove it actually relates to the word that Rashi's commenting on, the word taraf. Now, taraf, as we've seen, means torn. Simple as that. But it's not so simple. When you go back to the earlier comment of Rashi, or more correctly, if we read the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, again, Pasuk Yud Aleph, it comes to him in the evening, taraf befiha. There, was an, there was an olive leaf torn off, in its mouth. Taraf befiha. We have a grammatical problem because befiha is a feminine suffix, which means we are relating to this bird in the feminine, which is fine. But if you are, then the verb of, tor- of tearing off would not be taraf. It would be tarfa. Because if it's befiha, it would be tarfa. And Rashi himself it's, a, it's like a hybrid phrase. It's, 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 the verb is Lashon Zachar, masculine. The noun is Nekeva. And somehow they're, they're, they're put together. How do you explain it? So Rashi says an amazing thing in the earlier Rashi. Omerani, I say, say says Rashi, Shezacharaya. It was a male dove. So if it was a male dove, so it's appropriate to refer to it both in the male and the female, because the word yona is a female word, always, as a species, yona, but the males of the yona are males. So the Torah tells us that it was a male, but of course, befiha, because it's a yona, and that's how Rashi makes shalom between the grammatical conflict here of Torah and befiha. Okay. But say Mefarshi Rashi, but Rashi hasn't finished. Rashi hasn't finished with this issue because Rashi goes on to comment on the word taraf and he says it means chataf. On a simple level, it means torn off. But you know what? I'll bring you the medrash, says Rashi, that it's from the expression of teref. Teref is food. Why does Rashi bring the medrash? That was our question with all the ensues. Because through the medrash, you understand why it says taraf and not tarfa. Because even though the grammatical consistency, it should, they should have both been in the feminine, just like Befiha should have been Tarfa. And Rashi's already given us his first run on that question. It's a male bird within the, fe- within the female Yona uh, uh, species. But then but Rashi goes back again and says, there's another answer to that self-same question. Why does it say taraf and not tarfa? In order to lend itself to give the secondary drash message of 
teref. Taraf is teref because the, the bird says, may my teref, may my food, be even as bitter as, a, as, a, <coughs> as an olive from Hashem and not sweet as honey from you. So these are, um, these are the two explanations, again, the Rashi work to understand when Rashi brings a medrash, we, we certainly will always want to know why. But legufo shel inyan, the medrash itself, the, the, the dove is coming back and the dove is saying <coughs> that uh, I prefer bitter from Hashem than sweet from you. It's quite a striking thing to say. I mean, and it seems to come out of nowhere. And the, the, the dove is just really sent to, to find out if there's if the waters have abated, it hasn't been sent to bring back a moral uh, discourse. Especially as, if the, if, the, if the dove is so from, and it's such a moralist, it should also realize that what it's saying seems incredibly ungrateful. Because Noah has taken care of the dove for a year. Now, as you might have very uh, elevated thoughts about where your sustenance should come from, but if someone takes care of you for a year, at least say thank you first. Then you can start discoursing, <coughs> you know, I, thank you for the, for the 12 months. Had it been directly from Hashem, that would have been better. But under the circumstances, things being what they are, uh, I appreciate it very much. None of that. It comes back directly. May my, may my sustenance be bitter directly from Hashem. Well, you're welcome. I didn't know you felt that way. If you would have told me in the beginning, we could have saved ourselves 12 months work of, worth of work. So, so, Ein HaMedrash Hazeh Omer El Darsheni. What exactly is the idea here? And this, of course, is aside from all the accompanying questions for where does the dove get the ideas to have such a, such a, a, a high-powered <coughs> message to Noah. This matter is discussed in the commentary on the Torah called Nachalas Yaakov. There is more than one commentary on the Torah called Nachalas Yaakov, <coughs> but this was authored by Rabbi Yaakov Lorbenberg, Rabbi Yaakov of Lisa, the author of Nesivas Hamishpat. And he says very clearly, the first thing you need to know is <coughs> that this medrash, which has the message from the bird, the bird is not the one behind the message. The bird is the carrier of the message. It's not the propounder of the message. It's a, a, a yusod godel. When it comes to, when it comes to um, animals that speak, when it comes to things that speak in the words of Chazal, is that part of the way our goddess are expressed is that something that represents a message coming from somewhere is, is expressed as a message from them, as a, as a speech bubble, as a quotation from them. But often what it means is, this is what you can learn from it. This is the message that comes out, is depicted as them saying this. Uh, and this, this can even be with inanimate objects. Everyone knows, and children know, that coming up to Matan Torah, so you have this machlokus between the, between the uh, mountains. Okay, so which is the mountain that the Torah should be given on? So Har Tavor says it should be given on me, because I'm so tall, and Har Carmel says it should be given on me. And, and, and where are they getting these ideas from? But the Maharal says that what it means is that one, if you look at Har Tavor, you think, oh, that's a place for the Torah to be given because it's so imposing and it's so, so big and so tall, etc. So in other words, the argument for something is depicted as an argument coming from that thing. That's, that's a, a major yusod with regards to a goddess. Maharal discusses it in many places. And what it means for us, therefore, is when Chazal say the, the bird came back and said, Yihiyu, Mizonosai, Marum, etc., what it means is this, is this is the lesson you can get from the bird. But not only did the bird not say it, the bird itself did not intend it. But Noah was meant to receive it. Why? Because Noah is meant to look at the bird and say, of all the leaves that the bird could have been brought back, divine providence put an olive leaf in its mouth. That's a message to Noah, not from the bird, through the bird. But what is the message? If that's true, what is the message to Noah? As it is, should Noah not have done what he did? It's almost like heaven is saying to him, it's better for this bird to receive directly from Hashem, even something bitter, 
and not something sweet, sweet from you. So should Noah not have taken care of the animals? He should. Should he not have given them sweet things? Whatever he has, that's what he should give them. What is the message? The message is that Noah is, is receiving a crucial perspective on what he has done for this last, for, in this past year. Because when human beings act, they can, and they do good things, they can act in one of two capacities. As agents of good, or as sources of good. Agents of good means that they are representing Hashem's goodness in this world. They are agents of, what, of how Hashem wants things to be. And therefore, ultimately, who do they represent? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And ultimately, all recognition and attribution is, is deserving back to Hashem. They will take their recognition as his agents. But if they set themselves up, or see themselves, or present themselves as sources of good, so that's already a, a, a counter source to the ultimate source. And what they're saying is, at the end of the day, who took care of you? Noach. And if you want to know who to thank, Noach. Is there anyone else you should thank? No. And that is, is, is possible. Or if I can use the, borrow the, the Pusik expression, that's taref. And therefore, <coughs> the message to Noach is, you've done a great job. Be sure that you remain faithful to what your job was. That your perception of what you're doing as responding to Hashem's command, which of course, why, what's Noah doing in the ark? Hashem told him to be there. And what's he doing while he's in the ark? The things that Hashem told him to do. Never forget that all of this is coming from Hashem. You're involved in what he wants you to do. You're his agency for bringing it out. But, but never detach yourself from him and as, as if to say, it's all about Noah. It's all about me. I'm the one who's doing it. And, <clears throat> and recognition never really needs to go back further than me. And this was the very elevated le- lesson for Noah. And it remains a lesson for everyone. All the things that people do, Great things, elevated things, heroic things, and selfless things. The Noah perspective, the message from from the Dove is, you are working for Hashem and expressing His goodness in, in, in the world. And that is the capacity in which you need to view yourself and not as an independent capacity. And what's very interesting is if we move uh, past the flood, actually, to the end of the Parsha, this will really illuminate for us uh, another very uh, cryptic Parsha, and that is the, the Tower of Bavel. The Tower of Bavel. And that's the opening Sukkim of Perik Yud Aleph. So, the truth is, it's the first, you know, seven or eight Sukkim of, of Perik Yud Aleph. If you read them, you, you, you still might not really understand what happened in, in, in the Tower of Bavel because it's very vague. All, all the Pasuk says is that they said, uh, let's in Pasuk Dalet, they say, let's build a city, uh, a, a tower, its head ascending upwards, make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed. That's it. That's all we hear from them. And all of a sudden, it's like it's a disaster. It's terrible. But one has to ask, but why is it so terrible? I mean, what did they say at the end of the day? They don't want to be dispersed. Okay, well, good for them. I mean, do they have to be dispersed? No. How are they going to help themselves? By building this tower or somehow? Okay, it doesn't sound like they have any particularly nefarious uh, plans. So, so what's, what's the whole big problem? And moreover, again, just reading the Psukim, we talk about, you know, how was the generation of Dorha Palaga? How are they, what was their punishment? That might not be a correct question, because the Pasuk never says that they were punished. Punishment is retribution for something that you did. Here, the only talk is prevention from what they might do, because that's what Hashem says in Pasuk Vav. 
Vayomer Hashem, Hein Am Echad, Vesafa Achas Lekulam, it's one nation, one language, Vezachilam Nasos. Look at what they've begun to do. Vatala Yubatzer Mehem, Kolashers Mulasos, and nothing will stop them from doing what they want to do. So let's go and um, confuse their languages so that they should be able to understand each other. It sounds like this was not retribution, it's intervention. It's, it's, it's just to prevent something bad from happening. So it sounds like nothing really bad happened. On the other hand, so far we've just read from the Psukim. But if you look in the uh, Medrash, you'll see all sorts of things as to what they, as to what they plan to do. The Medrash Tanchuma says, <coughs> they, uh, they said, Right, let's build a tower so that we can ascend the tower and, and do battle against Hashem with our shovels. So that's war. <clears throat> but, but, but what does that mean? To ascend the tower? I mean, do, or do we assume we're, we're, we're talking about foolish people? They feel if, if we only get high enough, we can, uh, we can do battle against Hashem. And by the way, while we're on the subject, if you want to do battle with Hashem, I don't know that a shovel is really the, the most effective implement with which, uh, with which to do so. I mean, if you pardon the expression, let's call a spade a spade. A shovel is not a tool of war. So, uh, but, 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 but this is what they said. But it's not enough to hear what the Medrash says, because go back to the fact that the Pasuk didn't, didn't really talk about it in this way at all. So how do the two go together? And this question is discussed by the great Rosh Hashiva of Tells, Rabbi Yosef Lev Bloch, in uh, the Sefer Shurei Das. And he explains that, look, go back to Pasuk Vav, pardon me, Pasuk Dalet, when they say, what's our fear? Our fear is we don't want to be dispersed. Why don't you want to be dispersed? Because they felt vulnerable. They felt at risk. And, and the more dispersed they are, the more each person is just there to fend for himself. And they're more at risk. And therefore, because they wanted to protect themselves, they wanted to stay together, stronger together. Right? The more they, they are able to, to, to remain, so the more they'll be able to, to pool their resources, to pool their knowledge, and to do as well as they can. Now, for people to wish to protect themselves, uh, that is not a bad thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a natural instinct. However, there's two ways to do it. In other words, as they're looking maybe to open this, the secrets of nature as, and make discoveries and inventions and further help themselves, there is a negative side to that, potentially an unholy side to that. <coughs> Namely, the feeling is that perhaps on some level, maybe on, some, on a deep down level, that if we're only able to discover enough about the world, we won't need Hashem anymore. Because the more science takes over, and the more technology takes over, and the more discoveries take over, the more will have worked everything out. In other words, on a, on a deeper level, maybe on a subliminal level, the feeling was, if we stay together, we'll be able to work out everything about the world, and we won't need to rely on Hashem. And what is the drive to do that? Why not rely on Hashem? Because then you're accountable for your actions. That, that brings with it a certain you know, divine accountability. If Hashem is in control, you're accountable to Him. If you're in control, you're not accountable to anyone. So there was a very strong drive to, to, to take, to take the, the whole thing into their own hands. And interestingly, I'm reminded, actually, it was at the Shabbos table, it's got to be seven, eight years ago, one of my sons, Ari, uh, he mentioned that we, what do we know about this tower and how it was made? A couple of things. Firstly, they found a bika. They found a valley. That's quite apparent, quite significant. They, they found a valley. People normally look for the high ground, but, but they, they, they found a valley. And number two, the Pasuk says that they made a point of, uh, that Pasuk Bey says they found a bika. And Pasuk Gimel says, let's make bricks. And the Pasuk makes a whole thing of it. The bricks were instead of stones. Uh, what does it say? Bricks were for them as stones. 
What's, what's behind all of this? Why a valley specifically? And, and why bricks and not stones? But the answer is because they were looking to, as far as possible, be non-reliant on Hashem and what he had already given them. It has to be things that they made. So, so that means how are you going to make the tower? Stones that's been given to you by God. But what if you make your own? We'll make the bricks. Now, even though that's slightly ridiculous because the, 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 uh, the materials and the, the, the matter from which you make the bricks has been given to you. True. But as far as possible, I'm, not, I'm going to say no to a stone, yes to a brick. It's man-made. And what else? We want the, t- the tower to be as high as it should be. To show what? To show just how, how capable we are. So? So it's going to be in a valley. Meaning what? Taking nothing, even not taking elevation as the base of the tower from Hashem. We'll take it as low as, as nature gave it to us and we'll build up from there so that Hashem won't even have given us the first few stories of, of the tower in the form of a, a hill or a mountain or something like that. And this then is the deeper meaning of the Medrash which says <coughs> that um, they wanted to do war against Hashem with their shovels. Because it's, it, their shovels are, are instruments of development. Right? They're instruments of advancement. And they represent, therefore, will become so advanced that we won't need Hashem. And that's our war. We're setting ourselves up as counter, uh, as, as, as self-sufficient and completely non-reliant and, non, and non, non-accountable. Now, as we can appreciate, that if that's an underlying thing, no one said it. And that's why the Pasuk doesn't talk about it. And that's why, in a, once again, it's a delicate time because officially nothing's gone wrong. No one's done anything wrong. It's not a sin to build a tower. And it's not a sin not to wish to be dispersed. But underneath, there's a very problematic notion that are fueling these things. But no one speaks about it. So the Pasuk doesn't speak about it. Because as we've seen so many times, there is a correlation between what you see in the Pasuk and what you would have seen in that situation. What greets the naked eye in the Pasuk, what we call Pshat, is what would have greeted the naked eye in the situation. If you want to know what people were saying, you'll need the Pshat. If you want to know what people were thinking, you might need the Drash. That's the difference between Pshat and Drash. As Nechama Leibovitch (coughs) so aptly put it, uh, paraphrasing, the difference between Pshat and Drash, Ha-Pshat yir'ela enayim, v'ha-Drash yir'ela leva. The pshat <coughs> tells you what you would have seen, but the drash goes into people's hearts and lets you know what's going on under the surface. And that is why they're not punished because they hadn't done anything wrong. But there's trouble brewing. And if this develops, it will be a full-out, uh, complete detachment from Hashem. In order that that should not happen, there is a preventative measure of stopping them from building the tower. But once again, <coughs> I think we can see this is very... This really was mankind not fully getting the message from the dove, from the olive leaf of the dove. Because the olive leaf of the dove says, whatever you're doing, it only is fully meaningful and ultimately effective and leads to a good outcome if you are working for Hashem, not as a contrary source of uh, advancement and, and so on and so forth. And really this takes the whole concept, the whole episode of the Tower of Bavel, it takes it uh, uh, beyond its historical, it's not a historical uh, issue alone, it's a historic moment because that's when uh, this issue is really emphasized so much. And, and, and as we go about the things that we do as individuals and as communities, there's, there is the, the message of the dove way to do it as representatives of Hashem, or, or what the dove warns us against as being completely set up, in which case, this, as sweet as the honey might be, it's not. It's zeloze. It's not, it's not what, uh, what it's all about. And <coughs> I'd like to move from there <coughs> to discuss another medrash, which is... Again, all of these Midrashim, I think some of them are, are, are quite well known. The deeper we look into them, the more we see them uh, speaking to us and what it is that they're saying. <coughs> the Tevas Noach, so it was made of beams of wood. 
Most of them, we don't really know what happened. But a couple of them, we, we hear a follow-up. They would appear later on in, in history. And one of them is in the story of Esther. The Megillah tells us that Zeresh advises Haman, Yasu eats Gavoa Hamishimama. So you should make um, the gallows 50 amas tall. Uh, okay. Where are you going to get a gallows uh, 50 amas tall? Okay, so there's different, uh, there's different explanations of this. But in one place, the Midrash says that Haman went and took for his gallows one of the beams from Noah's Ark, because we know that the dimensions of the Teva were uh, 300 long, 50 wide, and 30 high. So if the beams are going lengthways and widthways, <coughs> so each beam is 50 amas wide. So, so there's your gallows. There's your, there's your 50 armor beam of wood. What does this mean? Because and, and in the end we know that Haman uh, was hanged from the very gallows that he wanted to, to hang Mordechai. But what's this, what does this have to do with, with Tevas Noah, with Noah's Ark? So there's a very fascinating explanation of this medrash from the Sefer Oznaim Latorah, which is Rav Zaman Sarotskin, the Rav of Lutsk. And he says that <coughs> Haman is looking to really you know, pitch himself against the Jewish people. And you know, it's him against them. Now, there are these notions that Jewish people are the, the, the chosen people and Hashem favors them and, and so on, which means he, he shouldn't really have much, stand much chance against them. But what does Amalek say? Amalek says, you know what the gallows that I'm going to use to hang Mordechai? You know what my move against the Jewish people is? I'm going to take a plank from Noah's Ark. And what does that mean? What it means is that I, I defy the notion that any people should be different than any other people, that any people should be better than any other people. <clears throat> because after all, we all come from the same place. We all come from Noah's Ark. Everyone is descended from, from that family. And therefore, the, the beams of Noah's Ark are the great unifier, the great equalizer of all peoples. In which case, they should not be given any, any preferential treatment. And if I try my luck, I just might succeed. And in the end... Haman was, was hanged from that beam. He was hanged from those gallows. And once again, as, as we discuss these midrashim, does it mean the piece, of, the piece of wood was taken from Noah's Ark, in which case it was preserved uh, <coughs> significantly? Or, or do we say that his move against Mordechai is based on what he said from, from Tevas Noah? But why did it backfire? Why v'naf hochu? Because Haman... He wishes to partake of the equality of man, as expressed by, the, by the, the beams of Noah's Ark. But he himself does not believe in it. He himself is looking to wipe out a nation. Where did he, what, what, whatever happened to the equality of man? So as an abuser of the notion that all people are equal, he cannot then claim protection. From, from, from that very same notion. He cannot treat people differently and demand to be treated the same. And this is the difference. And indeed, there is a, there is a, a parallel medrash which really highlights this idea. Because Avram, at a certain point, it says, Vayita Eshel, he, he, set up a, he set up an inn in Beersheba. And the medrash, again, uh, as a kind of a, a, an, an echo of this, or a, Counterpoint uh, of this <coughs> says that the central beam of Avram's of Avram's eshel was from Tevas Noach. Compare Avram's beam with 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 Haman's beam. Avram's beam is saying he's not only is he taking a beam from Noah's Ark, he's taking he's taking the lesson of Noah's Ark. What's Noah's Ark all about? Le mishbechosehem velohem about developing in kindness, in altruism, in idealism, in giving. 
And that's what Noah did for a year. And that's what Avram developed because he took the beam from that and made it into a center of, of kindness for, for everyone. And along comes Haman and want, he wants to take a beam from Noah's ark and turn it into a gallows. You can't have it both ways. And in the end it worked against him. <clears throat> because you cannot claim that that uh, we should all be treated equal and we should all have that same elevated status when you're not really acting as an elevated person is, or if you're not even acting as any person should act. And it's very interesting in this regard uh, to go back to the Teva because (coughs) the dimensions of the Teva are very specific. as We we mentioned that. Uh, 300... Uh, long, by 50 wide, by 30 high. That's the dimensions. The Torah is very specific. And we know that the, the ark was nowhere near as big as it needed to be, naturally. I mean, you have all the life forms there. The, 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 it's not enough. I mean, 300 cubits by 50 cubits, it, 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 it's very little. Even if it's Shir Chazanish, it's still not enough. And by the way, if the ark was Shir Chazanish, then so were the animals. So it's still not going to help you. So it's clearly a miracle. <coughs> and yet, the Torah is very specific. Why? So one of the great Mikubalim from the Beis HaMedrash of the Arizal, although it's, as the Kabbalah of the Arizal was brought to Italy, the Ramah Mifano, Rabbeinu Menachem is Azare Mifano. He says that if you look at these three numbers, 350 and 30, so they, I mean, they are the gematrias of the letters uh, Lamed, Shin, and Nun, which are the core consonants of the word Lashon. Lamed, Shin, and Nun. And isn't it also interesting that what Noah is meant to make out of them is a Teva. And the word Teva means you know, a box or an ark, but it also means a word. But, but, but what does this have to do with the generation of the flood? The generation of the flood, their problem was corruption and the destruction and so on and so forth. What's that got to do with Lashon? And what's that got to do with, uh, with, with tables, with words? But really what we're being taught here is that a great deal of what allows for corruption and what allows for destruction are words, are the misuse of words. And the punishment fits the crime in the sense that uh, an abuse in, in, in the physical arena is often an expression of, of, of abusing the truth through words. And we say this uh, every Yom Im Naroim, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Uh, we, we, we ask for that, that evil should dissipate like smoke. And what else do we say? The olosa tikpatz piha. Iniquity should close its mouth. Because that's where evil begins. By iniquity opening its mouth. Because iniquity has a big mouth. And it has many mouthpieces. And they're very well dressed. And they're very well spoken. And they are mouthpieces of iniquity. And, and, and they... they and there's no need to, 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 to dwell on the point, but only to say that in the same way that at the marble itself, the, the, the flood came in, in, in different forms. Sometimes the flood comes in the form of ideas and, and, and the truth can be washed away. It can be, it can be lost in the deluge. And that's why the, <coughs> the original teva is to, is to hold on to, to words as they should be, to hold on to, to, to speak truth as it should be spoken. And I think, therefore, everything really that we discuss this evening is very directly addressing uh, the, 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 the situation that, that we are in, in the sense that <coughs> you have the, the, um, the destruction of words, you have the demand for an equation by people who do not believe in that equation, people who would claim uh, asylum from, from Noah's Ark, but then pr- pr- proceed to use it as a, as a gallows, to, uh, uh, only to kill for our part, we also need to, to ensure that all the things that we do, and, and, and the Jewish people are doing amazing things at this time, really, all of them.
that it should it should be done in the way that the 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 dove signals to Yonah that it should be done working on behalf of Hashem, because the enemies of the Jewish people are the enemies of Hashem. Kuma Hashem viafutsu oivecha, as Rashi said. But the al kulana, what I, what I think has been expressed more than anything else, is the is the Gemara in Sanhedrin, where Rabbi Yochanan said lemishbechosehem velohem, for their families and not for themselves. And uh, in the context of Tevas Noach, so Noach was, it was the original family, and therefore he was for his family. And, and, and everyone should be for their family. But the Jewish people, as we see, and, and unfortunately, but one also needs to be uh, pondered as well, unfortunate that it should take uh, distress to bring the Jewish people together, that, so, that the word sorer, and back to, back to Amalek, right, who's... Uh, whose uh, minions were, were, were at work uh, not too many days ago. Tzorer HaYehudim means the, uh, the, the oppressor of the Jewish people. But Tzorer also means the Litzror is to gather, gather things together. Because until further notice, the Jewish people are most gathered together when, when they're being oppressed. We, we'd like to hope that the Jewish people can keep themselves together without the aid of, uh, of oppressors. That's really the, 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 the hope here. But in the meanwhile, the Jewish people have taken the, the, the context or the concept of to a completely different level. Because the family of, uh, 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 for which the Jew, you know, each individual is, is fighting and working and giving has millions of family members in it. That the concept of family, as it should do, has extended to Jews wherever they are, all over the land of Israel and all over the world. Everyone is, is, is galvanized and, u- and unified in that way. And that is the, the ultimate lemish b'choseihem v'lohem. So Hashem should give us uh, a bracha. We should hear b'soros tovos. Whatever needs to be done should be done uh, with, with uh, uh, the least uh, negative consequences uh, for us. And olosa tikpatz piha. Let the mouth of iniquity be closed. And let all of those actions that are fueled by the mouth of iniquity likewise come to a halt. And we should be Zoha for Yeshua's Vinachamos Bimehira Biamino Amin.